a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. Hello and welcome to today's episode on the podcast. I'm super excited to be here and talk to a wonderful, wonderful lady. But before I do so, I just wanted to set a scene for you and explain to you why I've decided to have this conversation today. Ever since I can remember, I've been super interested in people, in people's stories. I love finding out how we tick and how our decision-making process varies from one person to the next. I'm sure you know that by now from listening to all of the episodes we've had on the podcast. And very soon, we're celebrating a whole year of going out with weekly episodes. So that's an awful lot of amazing guest speakers, whether they're menopause specialists, experts in the menopause and cancer field, or whether they're all of these amazing patients we've had on. In fact, even if it's a menopause specialist or a healthcare professional, I like to understand how they help us make decisions and how they make decisions themselves. And then I always really love to understand how we as patients come to decisions and really it is so heavily influenced by everything that has happened up until that date. And we're all wired so differently. And we've all made so many different experiences, not just things that happen to ourselves, but also people that happened to our loved ones, to friends, to families, to things that even were influenced by the news, by social media. So much influences us on a subconscious sort of level that it's really hard that when you're in the moment to understand why you do what. And so that's exactly what I want to find out from the conversation with Joe today. Joe decided to go on hormone replacement therapy after an estrogen-driven breast cancer. And I really want to understand from Joe how she came to that conclusion, what was in her thought process to do so. I also want to know from Joe if she was really worried about doing so, because the majority of women don't go on hormone replacement therapy after an estrogen-driven breast cancer. And actually, Joe will tell us she wasn't even offered a conversation with her oncologist. Her oncologist just told her she can't have the conversation. So it's going to be really, really interesting to figure out and understand and learn from Joe what her thought processes were. And I know this is a controversial topic. I know it's highly emotive. I know you've all listening to this conversation. You've heard people who would never go on HRT, who think it's terrible to even talk about it. And I know many women, and perhaps you do as well, who've decided to go on HRT, even if their cancers were hormone-driven. And I just want to facilitate another non-judgmental conversation, and that's it, without 
judging anyone without thinking of anyone else. I just want to talk to Jo and hear from her today. And in future episodes on the podcast, I will talk to women who would not even consider going on a vaginal estrogen, for example, after their cancer. And I want to know from them what that decision-making process is and how they think, because we're all so different. We know that timing is key when we decide certain things, and we know many other factors influence us and what we do. And now it's time to bring Joe in, and I can't wait for this conversation because Joe is not just absolutely brilliant, but Joe was also looking for her funny, and I wonder if she's found it. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Joe. Hello. Hello. <laughs> You've got a very clean and tidy house because later this week you are taking yourself to another big operation. Yes, yeah. Yeah, my my fifth and hopefully final surgery. Yeah, Thursday. Can't, I can't wait. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've got also- full on nesting mode. <laughs> I know. I know what that's like. And next week, you've got a big week as well. You are going to mark in whichever way five years from your initial breast cancer diagnosis, Joe, which yeah. is a huge milestone, isn't it? It is. Yeah. You um, you know, you're, you're diagnosed and you're given that percentage survival rate, aren't you? If you get to the next five years, you've got a 75% chance of survival and and the day you're diagnosed, obviously, you don't ever forget it, do you? It's like a permanent no. mark in your head. So it was the 11th of April for me, 2018. And I, I, I've, I've always felt that it's been there sort of at the back of my head, you know, or in five years' time now. And then I get to the second cancerversary and then I, I think, oh, it's only four years now and then three years. And then, and yeah, we're finally here. And I, I, feel, I, I feel brilliant about it. I just... Yeah, it's nice to be able to draw a line under it and think, I've done it. <laughs> I've got Amazing. five years. Yeah, it's really good. So you actually do feel a bit like celebrating or how I do, do you feel? Yeah. yeah nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm. I, 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 feel, I feel really, really good. I feel like, you know, there are, you sometimes think, oh, if it hadn't happened, where would I be? Yeah. Where would my family be? Would I be in a different job? Would I, but, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to live in the past like that. I like to just, Take take each day at a time if you can. I do a bit of planning, but yeah, I, I feel really I feel really positive about it. It's a it's a really great it's place nice. to be in. Congratulations, thank you, <laughs> um, Joe. You've been a lovely and active member of our Facebook community, and you have taken a slightly different path in how you manage your menopause after your breast cancer diagnosis. And you're very open with it, and you're also very non-judgmental when you talk to others in the group you're always supportive and always very open and that is the reason why I wanted to talk to you on the podcast today it's a slightly controversial topic we want to tackle and I don't really want to think about anyone else in this world today when I talk to you for the next half hour I really just want to know from you as a person in how you came to this decision making process and what happened for you in that journey? Because we're also ever so unique. And I'd just like to really tap into you and your story. So thank yeah. you for being here. Thank you for asking me. I'm, I'm really, really chuffed to see your lovely face as well. Actual <laughs> face on face action. <laughs> Joe. so that everyone knows out there, you were 39 when you found yeah. your rather large lump. Yeah, yeah. It turned out that it was... Uh, it, well, it was 9.3 centimetres. 
Um, so it was quite a big one. But I found that. Shall I tell you when I found it? Yeah, tell me. Yeah, so it was nearly five years ago. Well, it'd be exactly five years ago next week. Um, I found it. It was just before Good Friday, the Easter weekend. And I'd been a regular checker, but I think possibly maybe six weeks ago by, I thought, oh, I haven't checked. So I had a little feel and I thought, well, that feels, that feels a bit different. You know, sometimes you get those sort of period sort of lumps, don't you? And, you know, the, the sort of the, the texture changes or the, the feeling changes. But it was the next day that I got out of the shower and I was putting my body lotion on my legs. And I, I, was, I looked into the mirror, Dan, and there was a, a big old dent in my right breast. And I thought, oh, God, right. it does not look right. So I got Ollie and my husband to have, a, to have a look at it in the film. And he said, yeah, that doesn't feel right. So anyway, we, you know, we, we set about immediately getting it looked at. Your treatment plan then involved chemotherapy first and then a one-sided mastectomy, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So chemo first to shrink the tumour and by the second chemo, it almost vanished completely. So I responded really, really well to it. Yeah, and then I had the surgery. I had a skin and nipple saving mastectomy with an implant. But the implant didn't work out, unfortunately. I had a, a serious infection. I was treated for sepsis. Um, it took quite a long time to heal. And then in the January 2019, I had the implant removed um, and then set about to have the radiotherapy. And that was the end of my treatment, apart from my prescription of tamoxifen, obviously. Hmm. See, this is another one we need to unravel, isn't it? People <laughs> think it's the end of a treatment, but actually it's the beginning yeah. of a whole other really yeah. big chapter. At that yeah. point, did you know what to expect from tamoxifen? Were you clued up about the different types of breast cancers and how they're treated? Or did yeah, you just about... think, it's just part of my treatment and I just take this little white pill? Yeah, absolutely. I thought there is no other choice. I don't have any options here. Um, I have to take it and I have to take it for the next 10 years. You know, I I, I, I looked at sort of the side effects of tamoxifen and I think there's a tamoxifen group on Facebook as well. And, I, you know, I just did as much research as I, as I could on it. But, you know, we all respond differently to drugs, don't we? And Absolutely. By that point, you're so grateful to be alive <laughs> that you just think, well, this is what the oncologist has said and this is what is going to happen. Yeah. And you were a young mummy to a, a five-year-old, yeah. six-year-old then, right? Yeah, you, um... yeah. Will was five then. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you, it, you know, you don't even, yeah, it's not an option for you. You just list as part of your treatment. You know, they tell you what it's what it's going to involve and you say, yep, absolutely. Let's just go with it. Yeah. yeah. And I know very many women who tolerate tamoxifen well, and I know very yeah. many women who do terribly on it. How was it for you? Yeah, it was not good at all. The hot flushes for me were really was the, was the worst part. Well, I'll say the worst part of it, the migraines and the hot flushes. So I'd have sort of, okay. you know, 30 plus a day. So wow. Trying to, yeah, it was really, really bad. So trying to, to work was awful. And then trying to manage the migraines as well was awful. Uh, bone pain the bone pain was pretty bad I think after about six months you sort of just get used to the symptoms and you think well it's a small price to pay really I've heard so many so many women say this I'm not the first to say it, obviously it's a small price to pay for for being alive yeah that little white pill but how how do we live if this is what you think you have to do for 10 years isn't it how What's the quality yeah. of that life? Did you ever well, question yeah, I mean, that in those early year, early two years? I did, yeah. I think after about six months, I thought I, 
I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be able to tolerate this. I was, mm. was really miserable. And you sort of expect that you're going to be different after you have your all your treatment. You know, you, you've changed physically. Yeah, it's had a huge impact upon you and your family and your self-confidence, anxiety that I've never had before, all, all these things that you're all of a sudden dealing with. And I just thought... I'm not sure that I'm going, going to be able to keep taking this. So after two, well, nearly two years of taking tamoxifen, I decided to try something else. In that time, I had tried different brands of tamoxifen as well. Okay. And did, um, did that make a difference to you? <laughs> no. Because some yeah. women say they do better on a certain brand yeah, or if they yeah. take it in the morning or take it yep. in the evening. I tried all that. Yeah. And so let me just explore, because I just ran a workshop at Future Dreams House yesterday with about 30 amazing women. And they all said, who can help me in that time? And we established that everyone's healthcare team is ever so different. Within those two years of being on tamoxifen, did you have access to a breast care nurse, an oncologist, a surgeon who helped you manage the side effects of tamoxifen? Or was there no one for you? No, it was sort of a case of, you know, you can you can try different brands and have you tried taking it in the evening. You know, my, my breast care nurse, Andrea, she's totally gorgeous um, and she's been amazing. And I have got a really good relationship with her. But I think by that point, it's sort of, you know, it's down to the oncologist, really, the drugs that you're taking. I think I'd also spoken to my GP about it. They, you know, I think just sort of said, you're going to have to speak to your oncologist about it. But yeah, um, there wasn't, it, it was sort of a case of, again, a case of this is what's been prescribed to you. It's the next 10 years, unfortunately. And, you know, have you tried stage? Have you tried acupuncture? Have you, you know, and I, I'd explored all of those things and I can't afford to have acupuncture every fortnight. You know, it's 50 pounds every fortnight. You know, I was off work for, for quite a long time when I was being treated. And even though I, I've got a fantastic employer, I, I only qualified for the sort of first six months of full sick pay. After that, it was statutory, and then yeah. it was universal credit. And you never think in your life that you're going to have to you're going to have to do that. So certainly, I you know these things like acupuncture, reflexology, yoga classes, wonderful, all brilliant. But actually, if you don't have access to those, or to like you say, your health team, your medical team, you're sort of alone. Really, you feel you feel quite alone. So what happened after two years? You knew you had eight years to go and you thought, how am I going to do that? <laughs> yeah, no way. Yeah. So um, I, <laughs> I tried Zolidex injections and the aromatase inhibitor, which was even worse. I put on, it, it felt like two stone almost, almost overnight. And that was a really big issue for me, you know, because you feel so different anyway. You know, I, I, I had one breast, you know, I, I had a, um, a prosthetic that I could wear. That was great. Yeah. but all the time thinking, oh gosh, you know, is anyone going to see it? And you're in a pool and on holiday and oh gosh, is anyone going to see it? You know, we live right yeah. on the beach here in, in mm. Gower. So we spend a lot of time on the beach. Sorry, what was the, can you just remind me of your question again? <laughs> That's okay. Let's keep this in the interview. This is the brain fog setting this in and it's is real, isn't it? brain fog. I give myself <laughs> an extra slap of testosterone as well. <laughs> Um, what you yeah. thought around that two-year mark? So you then were switched on to aromatase inhibitors, Zodelex, yes. yes, and that was even worse for you than being on tamoxifen. So yeah. what was your thought then? How did you? What did you think? How are you going to manage the next 
seven and a half years then. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so by this point, I thought I'm not going to be able to continue this. But I'd also was going to have a hysterectomy as well. So I thought, well, that will probably put an end to having to take the aromatase inhibitor and the Zolidex injections. And it was around that time then that I started to think about other options, i.e. not taking any drugs at all. So you were in your early 40s. Yeah, by now. Yeah. And you really thought, I can't do this for the next seven years. I've got very little quality of life. Yeah, yeah. Like so. A, a shadow of, of my former self. You know, I'm I'm a really, I you know, I'm a vital person. I I love my friendships and my family and I'm always up for a laugh, you know, a bit of a show off. <laughs> um, but but I just didn't feel that that was there anymore. And I, I can remember asking one of my one of my friends one day, have I lost my funny? And she said, You haven't lost your funny. I said, but I feel like I have. It's not, it's not there anymore. I didn't want to be flat you know I'd also had a prescription of venlafaxine to help for the hot flushes as well and and even though that managed it the hot flushes really really well I just felt really really flat yeah there was sort of flat lining there was no sort of really big highs or really big lows I wasn't really feeling anything and I did not want to be in that state for the next eight years for my little boy to see his mum like that no 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 way yeah and this question about staying on anti-endocrine treatment or having the ovaries out is a question that many women, even in the Facebook group, ask, right? And some yeah. um, healthcare providers like oncologists would still put some patients back on aromatase inhibitors or other medication, and some go without. You chose to not have any more tuboxifen or any more of the other sort of endocrine treatments after your, you had a hysterectomy, right? I had a hysterectomy, yeah. Um, at that point then, I'd heard about um, a book that was doing the rounds sort of in our community called Estrogen Matters, which loads of listeners will probably already have listened, uh, will have also read. And and I also had a few podcasts uh, with uh, Dr. Abram Blooming, the author of that book. And that was a light bulb moment for me. You know, I was looking for alternatives anyway as to how I was going to manage the next eight years I wasn't really thinking about the cancer coming back of course we live in we live in object fear of the cancer coming back but I I had to make a decision that I was going to focus on how I was going to be me again however long I had that was the most important thing and I'd spoken to my husband about it as well and he was he's so supportive he's he's just brilliant and he said I'm totally back you you need to find something that works for you that was when of course I heard about women who were taking the the HRT route. And that obviously is a really controversial topic and conversation, not just b- between yeah. us patients, but also between healthcare professionals and doctors and, and oncologists. Yeah. And in general, women who've had breast cancer, especially when it was estrogen driven, most people know they've been told no by their oncologist or by their surgeons, and they're just yeah. being told, no, you can't have HRT. And that is the guidance yeah. at the moment. And at the same time, you and I know lots of women who've chosen to go down that route. Yeah. It's definitely a route much less traveled. Mm-hmm. But I can only imagine that it must have been hard to make that decision. Was there an element of fear? And so you've read the book, you've listened to podcasts, you yeah. immersed yourself perhaps with stories of other women who've yeah. started HRT after an estrogen driven breast cancer. Yeah. What were your worries? Or did you not have worries about doing something that your oncologist probably didn't support you with? Yeah, the oncologist wouldn't even have a conversation with me about it. It was during lockdown, so I had a telephone appointment with 
with him. Um, actually, it wasn't it wasn't him. He'd changed to a her by that point. Um, and I said, I'd like to have a conversation with you about starting HRT. And I'd like to know if you would support that or where I would get a prescription from. Would I have to speak to my GP about it? And she said, I can't have a conversation with you about it. So that was that was a real wow. kick in yeah, it was a real kick. That's shocking. Mm. What not to yeah. even have the conversation? No, that was her. That, those were her words. I can't have a conversation with you about it. I think you know they're they're governed, aren't they? And you know they have they have advice. Um, but for me, you know, I I sort of become a bit excited, a bit hyped up at this point, thinking, oh, I've done loads of research and I feel really positive about this. This could be a really good change for me. And so to hear that I was going to have no support at all was a real kick in the stomach. Um, yeah that, that was really upsetting but I persevered <laughs> and to me it's never about you can have a different opinion I feel like your oncologist <laughs> is allowed her opinion of saying Absolutely. I don't support my patients to go on HRT after their particular yeah. cancer or their yeah. history and that is very different to denying that person an informed conversation so that we can make informed decisions and that yeah. informed conversation evaluates your risks versus benefits of being on it and yeah. not being on it because surgical yeah. menopause in your early 40s is no small feat we know it was that awful it was awful and i thought the chemical menopause from the chemo was bad the surgical menopause after hysterectomy that was really bad whereas you know before i had had the hot flushes sort of under control and the migraines under control after surgery i mean almost it felt like almost immediately that the hot flushes just came back even worse than they were night sweats fatigue oh the brain fog was horrendous I was signed off work with anxiety and depression for a short period I I, I felt really really lost and mm. of course I'd gone into that surgery knowing that my oncologist was not going to support my choice of going on HRT either wow so did you go back to your GP then and say I did go back to my GP and um, they referred me to a menopause specialist as it turns out, 18 months later, there's, the referral hasn't gone anywhere because there is no menopause specialist in Swansea where we live. Wow. There are in some of the other areas, but not here. So that wasn't ever going to be an I, option. I'm going to add something for anyone listening. And yeah. we can be referred outside of our area. And most GPs don't know that. But if for anyone listening who needs access to an NHS menopause specialist, yes, the waiting list is long, but you could be living in Wales and be referred to a menopause specialist in London, for example. And we just need to tell our GPs. But anyway, this is, I know yeah. you're not the only one. Yeah. So what then? So you, there's no referral. Your oncologist didn't have a conversation with you, but you were still keen to explore this route. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I started ringing around private menopause specialists, private clinics, sort of getting a, a feel for how much a consultation was going to cost. And, you know, I couldn't afford it. It's It's expensive. But... I'd done a lot of research at this point and I knew in my heart of hearts that's where I wanted to go. You know, I, I yeah. often say to ladies when I'm, when I'm responding to them or, you know, you know, on our, on our Facebook group that for me, I wanted to live standing up, not laying down. You know, I haven't um, come up with that quote myself. I'd heard it actually from somebody else and it really struck a chord with me. And that's what really yeah. made me think. I'm not going to I'm not going to live like a zombie for the next 8 years. I don't want my son 
doing that, growing up with that. I, I want to be a part of his life. I want to be out playing with him and, you know, crawling on the floor and being a goon. We are, we are together. We have really good yeah. fun together. Yeah. And I think, in essence, we all want to live standing up. Yeah. And because we're all so differently wired, for some people, the idea of perhaps going on hormone replacement therapy after an estrogen-driven cancer is just too removed. Maybe the risk of recurrence is too much of a focus or the worry is too high or it's not the right time. It is so fascinating how we're all so different because it seems to me that at that time when you seeked the help from a private menopause specialist who you say you couldn't actually really afford, you really wanted to do this because that was an expensive appointment, I assume. You had pushbacks from the oncologist, from the GP, and you still persevered. So you had this strong gut feeling that this was right for you. I did, yeah. And I I think that that goes back to what we said earlier on about when you're in your treatment, you have no control at all. And, you know, I'm, I'm 45 this year. I I wanted to, I can't get the last five years of, of my life back. And actually, not all of it has been horrendous. You know, I, I, you know, it's parts of it have been just fantastic as well. I, I often think I would never have met some of these gorgeous people that I am now friends with. I would never have, you know, had the opportunity to support women. And that's been really, really important for me. You know, I'm a huge supporter of our local Maggie's cancer charity as well. You know, we've my husband and I have raised fifteen thousand pounds over the years. Wow! Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I know. So some some excellent things have have come out of it. But yeah, I just wanted to be. I wanted to be. Not back to normal, but I wanted to be on on good form, like I genuinely am, and I I feel like I'm on you know really good form now. I feel great. So when you then picked up this prescription, I yeah. assume in your case it's estrogen is that right yes so i've got an estrogen only patch so ert and i have testosterone and i have vaginal estrogen as well um and i sorted the vendor vaccine because actually that's been brilliant for controlling the migraines okay so when you put your first patch on was there any doubt that you're doing the wrong thing yeah i was really i was really nervous about it you know because i i i had read obviously about the risks associated with it you can't get away from that but there's also a lot of positivity in there as well and you and i spoke about this before before, before we started recording but it's my choice i would never tell somebody that you know they they can't do this or they have to do that or you know on on the group we hear we hear a lot of um, women saying, well, I, I'm not allowed to to do this. And I really feel very strongly about that. I feel very frustrated and I feel saddened by it because, you know, there's that lack of control again over our decisions about our own health. And, you know, having not had the shared patient experience that we are supposed to have, the nice guidelines tell mm. us that we're supposed to have, I will often, you know, post a link to it and say, look, here are the shared, shared experience, patient experience guidelines. Have a little look. You know, if if you're thinking of taking testosterone, here's a link from the medical support website. And it will tell you if, you know, your GP is currently prescribing testosterone in your county or your borough. Yeah. I think, like you, I don't really care so much about supporting opinions because I'm not a medical professional. I'm not an 
I can't read all of those scientific papers to the extent that mm. doctors can. I'm really just so curious about how we can support more women. And if someone yeah. has the urge to explore this, I think it's just so wrong that we don't even allow them a conversation that really sort of boils my blood. And yeah. And also, it's not like we always censor every woman and say, well, you're on your fourth glass of wine. We know this yeah, will increase yeah. your risks of all cancers. You must categorically not put your mouth to that glass. Mm -hmm. We don't do that, right? We don't do that with processed food. And we know that even just by reducing our intake of processed food, we can increase our chances of longevity yeah. by 10% or something, you know. Yeah. So we don't do that in other areas of life where it's all in a way the same it's weighing up your risks versus your benefits and we make that choice don't we on a on a daily basis and you are clearly making your choices well informed with the information you've had you've got a good feeling towards it it's yeah, yeah. it's only right that you should be supported i guess isn't it absolutely yeah and and i think you know for so many women it's it's not even an option that door has been closed to them completely. So when people do say, I'm not allowed to take it, my I, I will always, always respond to that and say, you do have options. Have you had a look at this? Have you had a look at that? So Joe, how long did it take for it to work and for you to see a benefit? Oh, it was, or all, did it was you almost not... immediately. It was like a light switch. Like how? So I put the estrogen patch on. And I'd say within about two days, my hot flushes had stopped completely. I know this doesn't work for everybody. And I really, really feel for the women out there who it doesn't work for. But for me, it was it was immediate. The testosterone was was a game changer as well. In how? Um, I had, I've got a terrible brain fog today, but I, I felt like a curtain had been lifted. I just sort of sort of um, sparked up again. You know, I sort of got my Joe back. Your fun um, back. Yeah, I got my funny back. Yeah, it turns out I hadn't lost it. It was just hibernated. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, felt, I felt brilliant. I'd also, you know, had Vagifem as well because, you know, vaginal atrophy is just another awful, awful experience. And I'd say within about two weeks that had all, also changed. Relationships with my husband had also changed dramatically. It was just fabulous. <laughs> So and, a real drastic sort of feeling oh, of change. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as, as well as the physical symptoms, you know, I'd that sort of anxiety sort of fell away. But it took a while and it's still, yeah. you know, it's, it's still there sometimes. But I just felt more, I felt confident again. Mm. I'd felt, you know, going back to work after treatment, you feel like you're sort of, you know, you're not going to be able to pick things up again as quickly as you did. And, and actually, I didn't pick things up again as quickly as I did. And that's really, really difficult to deal with as well, because you're, you're used to being good at your job and you're dynamic and you can get this done and this done. You can do a million things all at once. Women are, you know, great at doing several tasks all at the same time. But I just I could, couldn't do that anymore. But when I started on the ERT, oh, my God, it was just amazing. And, I, and I'm really not exaggerating that either. It was incredible, the change. And, and Ollie, my husband, would say this, you know, I feel like I've got, I feel like I've got my, my Joe back again. Wow. Will and I, you know, I, I said to him, um, do you remember much about when we having treatment and 
about you know about what what was happening and he said he said I remember that I sort of did a lot of smiling because I didn't want people to worry about me because they were all worrying about you oh. and I know bless his heart he's, he's he's gorgeous but I said to him do you think mummy's more fun now and he said yeah definitely although he did ask me to not put myself at risk because about a year ago I went out scootering with him and his little friend Joe and they were saying why don't you have a go on the scooter on a ramp I thought well of course I'm gonna have a go on the scooter on the ramp I'm nine years old again and uh, <laughs> I went down it fell off it and smacked my face as in like nearly cracked my cheekbone black eye split lip oh my gosh it was awful awful <laughs> and embarrassing yeah. for your son <laughs> Oh my God, he was absolutely mortified. Mortified. Yeah, but sort of like shaking in the car as well. I probably shouldn't even have driven home, but, I'd, you know, I did. <laughs> you had your Joe back by then. I you did. certainly did. You certainly <laughs> did. Look, I can't thank you enough for just talking me through your thought processes. How long have you been on your estrogen replacement therapy now? Just over a year. And have you got a plan of how long you'll be on this for? Or are you just taking it sort of month by month or phase by phase? Or is there a yes. grand plan, a Joe plan? <laughs> yeah, forever and ever. You know, <laughs> the, the benefits, you know, we're reading so much more now about the, the benefits of, of HRT for women. As far as I'm concerned, I will be, um, I'll be on it forever. Joe, thank you. And I wish you all the best. For your you surgery do. in a couple of days. Oh, I know. I no, I can't wait for general anaesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last a, one, hopefully. The last breast reconstruction. And then yeah. um, I hope a lovely celebratory piece of cake next year for your five-year anniversary. It uh, will be. Yes, it'll be an enormous one. <laughs> Amazing to connect with you, to hear your story. And yeah. thank you so much, Joe. That's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Joe, we've just stopped recording, but you wanted something else to add. <laughs> I did. And I totally forgot to mention this because as well as all the, you know, gorgeous things that have happened over the years and all the wonderful support that I've had, honestly, your Facebook group for me was just an absolute, at times, bit of a lifesaver. You know, reading these women's stories and connecting with them and having conversations with them, you know, sometimes you can't sleep when you're at 3am and you think, oh, I'll just see what's going on in the group if anyone's responded or does anyone need support or, yeah, it's it's been really, really important part of my life actually over the years. And so that's what I wanted to say to you as well. Thank you. Although, so although, Joe, you're the odd one out because the majority of women obviously don't go on HRT after their cancer. And it's nice <laughs> that you still feel included in that conversation and in the support and everything. I like, I, I'm oh, glad absolutely. I hear that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, and, and it's been such a pleasure talking to you today. And um, I feel like now you're my new mate. <laughs> you are totally my new Joe. And I so hope. Or not, I'm your new mate. <laughs> I love it, Joe. Thank you so much. Ah, <laughs> oh, such a lovely conversation. And I'm so grateful that Joe was able to have this conversation in almost a light-hearted manner because it's such a serious conversation. The decision to go on hormone replacement therapy after a breast cancer diagnosis is really difficult to make. And I'm really glad that Joe let us into her thought processes on today's episode. I'm super excited and happy for Joe that she found her funny. I often thought I've lost my funny and I've lost that part of me 
that was sort of the carefree and fun and adventurous Danny. And I think my husband will agree. And it's not that I've lost it forever, but it somehow got hidden a little bit, like Joe said. And I'm so happy to hear that she really found her fun Joe, her funny again. And um, what you don't know is after we've stopped recording this podcast episode, and we were talking about Joe's upcoming um, reconstruction of her uh, breast surgery, I said to her, do you know, I've got a party trick, Joe. And she said, what's that? And I said, well, I've had a double mastectomy with implants and my implants were put underneath my chest muscle. So now every time I move my chest muscles, I can totally move my boobs like up and down and I can do so left, right, left, right. <laughs> and it's a real party trick. And um, if anyone is out there with a double mastectomy with implants, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, for anyone else, ignore what I've just said because it was a little <laughs> in joke between me and Joe. But um, anyway, we had a really good giggle. And um, yeah, I'm so glad I had this conversation with Joe today. And I hope that you just take it for what it is. If you're on a thought process yourself about how to manage your menopause after cancer, then I know we're sometimes influenced by stories and things. But for now, just switch off. Let let the conversation be for what it is. This is Joe's journey and it's not right for everyone, of course. And um, yeah, wishing you all the best and chat to you next week. I will think of uh, maybe sharing a much more appropriate party trick with you on the next episode. <laughs> Until then, all the best. <laughs>